This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. This morning I'm speaking on this subject, the Joseph of Christmas. But today we're looking at Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to read a familiar text, most familiar text, uh, in verses number 18 through 25. And I pray that you follow along with us. Today it's my goal to rehearse some valuable truths about the Christmas story that I think if we're not careful, we, we speed read, speed dial over them. But there is an element in today's topic that I believe uh, is really unfamiliar with most everyone. I understand the the most uh, talked about aspect of this subject, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But there are a couple of things about this subject today that perhaps you will leave here saying, I never knew that, and that's my goal. So if you have your scriptures ready, and they will get these on the screen for you, I want to begin reading in Matthew chapter 1, Uh, beginning with verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when, as his mother Mary, was espoused to Joseph. Now, that's an important word, and most of you are somewhat familiar with it. But I want us to look at it in a different perspective this morning. I want to shine some light on that aspect. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and we're going to come back to that, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. I want to remind you this morning of several incredible truths 
about a most familiar story that perhaps we seldom think about. First of all, I want to remind you this morning that there are predominantly four main Josephs of the Bible. Just like in several places, for example, there were many people in the Bible who were called Simon. Now, four people that stand out in the scriptures have and share this name Joseph. And I want to remind you who they are. First of all, and I don't have time to go into all of the background with these individuals, but I'm sure you are aware of in the Old Testament, Joseph, who was the son of Jacob. Then there is another special Joseph, and he is referenced as Joseph of Arimathea. When Jesus died on the cross, this particular Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, he, along with a man named Nicodemus, went to Pontius Pilate and said, can we take his body down off of the cross? Can we bury him? And they were given permission. So, secondly, Joseph of Arimathea was heavily involved in the burial aspect of Jesus after he died on the cross. Then there was Joseph, the brother of Jesus. You say he had a brother? Yes. In fact, I want you to see this because we seldom mention this. Not only did he have a brother, but he had some sisters. Wow, preacher, that's really blowing my mind. Well, let's look at the word. In Mark chapter 6, and in verse number three, the word says this, is this the carpenter's son of Mary? Look at this. The brother of James and Hoses or Joseph and of Judah and Simon. But then there's another interesting thing that follows that. Look at this very carefully. And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. So keep in mind, when we think of the nativity, when we think of the birth of Jesus, we ha and this changes a lot of things for certain denominations, and I will go over that with you in just a minute very briefly. But the fact remains, there was the Joseph the son of Jacob, Joseph of Arimathea, Joseph, the brother of Jesus, and then the Joseph of Christmas. So four main Josephs that the word of God speaks about, and all of them had a significant uh, aspect of scripture. Now, I want you to keep in mind that all of the events at Christmas and in this Christmas story, they had been forever set and formed in the heart and mind of God in the beginning. None of these things that happened occurred to God. This was all in his divine plan. And I want you to think about it because Jesus coming into the world as a baby, nothing took God by surprise. Nothing occurred to God. I mean... Nothing was a surprise to him in real-time happenings. 
And I want to remind you of something very important. And we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, but I want to go back. This is very important to me, and I hope it's very important to you. And I hope you learned something two weeks ago, and I want to refresh your memory with what we talked about. As Jesus, the prophesied Messiah, the first prophecy of Jesus originates in Scripture in Genesis 3.15. And because of its enormity, I want to rehearse it real quickly again. In Genesis 3.15, the word says, written by Moses, remember, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, this is the first prophecy in the scripture concerning the coming Messiah. Now, let let me rehearse something with you just for a minute because God knew that when he created, when he brought forth man in his own likeness and image, God knew before he did that, as the scripture declares, Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So God knew in his omniscience, because he's all-knowing, God knew that when the appointed time came, when he would create man in his own likeness and image, God also knew that in just a matter of time, this human creation would ultimately sin. And he knew that when they ultimately sinned, that they would ultimately fall and need redemption. This this was no surprise to God. And the redemption, the atonement, could only come through the shedding of God's own blood. As the scripture says, I mean, nothing else would do. Like the old song says that we're very familiar with, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But in Acts 20, verse 28, the Bible makes it more clear to us, and it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. And this is a responsibility that I have as your pastor, to feed the church of God, which he, God, purchased, hath purchased with his own blood. So that's very important. And so when the fall of man took place in the garden, this was not a surprise to God. When it happened, God was ready. He had been ready. It was always in his mind. In fact, Genesis 3.15, it gives the prophecy as the seed of woman would one day bruise the head of the serpent. The serpent would also bruise his heel. And again, let me, let me give you this meaning once again, because I know sometimes when we read a scripture like this, we hear it and, and we kind of get it, but then we kind of lose it. Let me give it to you real quickly again. The meaning of this verse is that God would allow Eve to bear children and her seed would ultimately crush the head of Satan. And that Satan would also strike like a serpent and become defeated once and for all on the cross. And with the glorious resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus, Jesus defeated Satan forever. And so from Genesis 3.15, this prophecy, many other prophecies would come before us in the word and it would follow about the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Savior to the world. 
And so all of these prophecies, beginning with Genesis 3.15, and uh, many in the Old Testament, and what we're reading today, these prophecies take us all the way down through time. And we want to look at it this morning concerning this particular Joseph of Christmas, because it's evident through careful study that when it was time, and God never works on our time, his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. So don't ever confuse timing with God. God's timing is divine. God doesn't compute time like we do. One day to God is like a thousand years to us. So there's no way we can fully understand his time. But I will tell you this, when, when the fullness of time came, when it was time for the Virgin Mary to give birth to God's only begotten son, here is the thing. God knew when this appointed time came that Mary, God knew this, this is his omniscience, that Mary would need a protector. You have to remember the times in which Jesus was born. That she would need a protector that would shield her from the inevitable process, not only from tyrants and bullies and thieves, but she would need a protector that would defend her with the Mosaic law. Don't lose this. This is very important. So God in his infinite omniscience, he knew that they would come as Genesis 3.15 proclaimed that when it was about time for her to give birth that she would need somebody right at her side. Because here's the thing, and in so many ways like today, or it used to be in modern times, because of Mary pregnant and giving the appearance of being pregnant, in worldly eyes, she would be what was referred to when I was going to school. And when I grew up, you'd hear things from time to time, she's in trouble. So from that idea in our mind, God knew that Mary would need a protector because from the mind and the eyes of the world, they would see her being pregnant and to society, she would be a woman scorned and she would be a woman in trouble. Now, not only that, but being in that condition, they would also look at her as a woman in trouble who had violated the Mosaic law. This is important. Now, secondly, combined with that, she would need someone to fill the earthly role of a father in the early years of this holy child. Until the fullness of time would come and Jesus would begin his public ministry when he was at the age of 30 years old and then soon after, three and a half years later, going to the cross. And so the man whom God chose to fill both of those roles, to be a protector for Mary in this situation, 
and to be an earthly role model, a mentor, an earthly father to his son, God chose Joseph of Christmas, this Joseph, to fill both of those roles. Now, I want to refresh ourselves with some background this morning because at this particular time when all of this was going on, times were pressing for people. People were scraping for survival, doing everything they could to make a living. And keep in mind, Joseph, the Joseph of Christmas, he was a carpenter. I think we are all familiar with that. And perhaps it's easy for one to think that, okay, if God knew and had always known that he had a plan for redemption, that he would send his son to a family of royalty. Maybe somebody has that idea, and maybe you've questioned God. Why did God choose Joseph of Christmas? Why did he not choose somebody of royalty, somebody that was in a palace, somebody that was influential? Why did God choose to go this route? But rather, again, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He would choose Joseph of Christmas, a common man, a carpenter, and instead of being born in a palace of royalty, God chose a stable with common animals. But listen, just like God had chosen Mary, and Mary wasn't somebody that God stumbled along in the modern days of this time. Mary had always been in the heart and the mind of God. But just like God chose Mary, God also chose Joseph. That's important. And there are several considerations. And this is something that I'd like to maybe move quickly through. And I hope it'll be a blessing to you. Because there are three, I think, considerations of Joseph that I'd like for you to look with me at today. And number one, I want us to think about Joseph's dilemma and if you look again in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18, the Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused, and I mentioned that word in the beginning, underline this word, espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now I want you to look at that word espoused, and I want to give you some ancient Jewish culture here. Because in the Jewish order of marriage, there were three stages. We're not primarily familiar with all three of these and how they work, but I want to let the beauty of this sink in this morning. I want to teach you something about this thing of being espoused and where they were in this three-stage process. The first stage in the order of marriage in the Jewish culture, was what we call engagement. This was the first step or the first stage. In biblical times, and listen carefully, this first step of being engaged, it was usually, typically, either arranged by the parents or by what was referred to as official matchmakers. Sometimes, this was even arranged when the bride and the groom were still young children. 
where it would be decided, okay, when you're old enough, you will marry her or you will marry him. And this is how it began. This is almost done still today in the Muslim world. A lot of times, this couple, this pair, they didn't even know each other. But that's the way it was designed. The second phase of this Jewish culture of marriage was called the betrothal. That's the step two. And that particular step lasted for a year, a whole year. The betrothal, that was, it was completely binding. It was legal. It was the time that was established that the couple would get to know each other. So sometimes they didn't even know each other. But because it had been prearranged, it, this was called the engagement back then in Jewish culture. Then the betrothal, this was, this was another element altogether. It was in the second stage that they were recognized as man and wife, recognized. And the only way to get out of this phase of the arrangement was by a divorce. But the couple, they were not given the marital rights, according to Jewish culture, until the third stage, which was the actual wedding. And so the actual wedding, it took place at the end of the year of the betrothal. And so the important thing to remember is that this part right here that we're reading of the Christmas story was during the second stage of this marriage arrangement or the betrothal. It was in the second stage. Listen carefully. It was in the second stage that Mary gave this news to Joseph. It kind of blows my mind. But it was in the second stage of this arrangement that she comes to him and says, Hey, I got some news for you, man. I'm going to have a baby. Now you think about this. Joseph, at first, maybe he was listening to her in shock and maybe taking this as a confession. His heart sinks, it drops, because there was absolutely nothing about Mary's character that would lead him, remotely lead him to think that she was capable of this. How, how could you... I mean, he is listening to what he's considering at first to be some type of confession. I, I need to tell you, Joseph, before we get into stage three here, man, what, what has happened? I mean, he was completely devastated. All of his dreams were shattered. He is in this second phase with a broken heart. And then Mary, on top of that, she says, hey, I'm going to have a baby. But then she says, almost in the same breath, but don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. She says, hey, an angel came to me. Now you think now, let's think this through. He is in shock. His heart is on the floor. 
She's going to have a baby. Don't worry. An angel came to me and said, this Joseph, I have conceived a child by the Holy Ghost. I, I'm going to give, I'm the one that all through the centuries of time, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, I am the one that's going to give birth to the Messiah. Don't worry, I'm still a virgin. Now, she comes to him with all of this stuff. It's all happening. And Joseph is now concluding this. I, can, I mean, looking at it from a human perspective, let's, let's look at it from that deal, because sometimes I think that we have the idea that these things that happen in the Bible are just all so incredibly supernatural that it could never take place in the real world. But this happened in the real world. So now he's thinking this. Okay, now she's coming to me. She's telling me this stuff, telling me not to worry, She's still a virgin, and now Joseph is, has concluded. She has not only become unfaithful to me, but I have just recognized that she is a habitual liar. <laughs> so who in the world have I hooked myself up with? This, this woman has done this thing, and now she can't even tell me the truth. And Joseph's dilemma now has three components to it. I want us to look at this. Number one, he could not believe Mary had done this thing and became pregnant. He cannot believe it. He knew perfectly well he wasn't a father. But number two, he couldn't believe that Mary was going through this exaggerated extreme, making up this unbelievable story and wanting him to believe it. But number three, after hearing it, he had no idea what to do about it. So Joseph had quite a dilemma. He knew he had to do something to save, at the very least, his reputation and, if possible, the reputation of Mary. This man was in a hard place. But not only did he have this dilemma, he had to make a decision. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse number 19, the word says, then Joseph, her husband, again, this is the second phase of this arrangement, being a just man. That's, that's an important choice of words that we have in Scripture, and not willing, look at this, to make her a public example, was minded, that's where he was leaning, to put her away privately. Now, that wasn't about eloping. It had nothing to do with that. Joseph wasn't planning to run off and marry Mary in secret. Joseph had first decided to call it off call the betrothal off, and to do it in a very discreet way. But keep this in mind. God the Father, he had handpicked Joseph to be the earthly father who would raise his son, who would mentor him. And so that, first of all, tells me that God thought a lot about the character of Joseph. In Matthew 1.19, look again, the word says, being a just man. So in fact, the Holy Spirit in this verse calls him a just man. And listen, he didn't know what to do, 
but eventually he knew what he ought to do. That's significant. And what Joseph knew that he should do was to obey God at all costs. He wanted to do the right thing. And this is probably one of the reasons why God chose him, because God knew he could trust him. All of those things, I think, had an impact on Joseph's decision. He felt like he would have to part company with Mary, but he needed to do it very discreetly. And I'm sure that the only scripture that was coming to the mind of Joseph, I mean, what, what could he do? Maybe there were earthly things just coming to him like a train without brakes, but then I'm sure that he reverted back to scripture. Maybe perhaps the only scripture he was familiar with on a subject like this. And that would have been Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse number one. And the scripture says, when a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he found or hath found some uncleanliness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. So in the second phase, perhaps Joseph was going to act as kind as he could, privately putting a bill of divorcement in her hand instead of putting her through all of the public humiliation and shame. So in this time of decision, Mary decides that she's going to go to her cousin's house, Elizabeth. It gave Joseph a little more time to ponder this, and it gave Mary a little bit more time. In fact, the word says that Mary stayed at Elizabeth's house for three months. In Luke chapter 1, verse 56, the word says this, And Mary abode with her, talking about Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her own house. But I want you to notice again Matthew chapter 1, verse number 20. But while he, at this point in time, while he was pondering these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. You see, Joseph really didn't know what to do. He knew what he ought to do, but he didn't know exactly how to do it, what to do. So look at this. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is the Holy Ghost. It's the same story Mary was telling him. And one of the most beautiful things about this dream was, when Joseph woke up, he realized now that all of his dreams would come true. He would now marry his Mary with the full approval of heaven. So we have considered quickly Joseph's dilemma and Joseph's decision. Lastly, I want to talk about Joseph's destiny. In verse 21, Matthew 1, 21, the word says this, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Look at this. She shall bring forth a son. Not your son, Joseph. It doesn't say, and she shall bring forth your son. 
and she shall bring forth a son. And so Joseph's destiny was to raise the second person of the Godhead in his own tiny little home. He was given the assignment of overseeing the physical human aspects, the growth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Joseph was not only given the responsibility to raise a son, but he was given the responsibility to raise the Savior, the Messiah. Joseph was destined to do this. The angel said, Joseph, notice this again. Not only are you going to raise a son, not only are you going to raise this son, the Messiah, She said, it's already planned out. The angel said, it's already planned out. And this is the ironic thing. The angel said this, you're not only going to raise a son, but you don't even get to name the son. This son has been preordained to come by the father. He is the prophesied one. He is the Messiah. And when he comes, you don't even get to pick out the name of the son. The word says in Matthew 21, 21, and he shall be called Jesus, his name, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. So God revealed to Joseph that he was going to raise this son, his son, and that he would call his name Jesus. The other thing God said, and he shall save his people from their sins. Now you may find this interesting to know that, by the way, In the New Testament, this is the first time that the word sin comes into play in the, in the New Testament. Salvation, as we know that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, he came for our sin. Salvation is interwoven with this name, Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. In Acts chapter 4, verse number 12, the word says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name unto heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now there's a very special prophecy in Matthew 1, verse 22 and 23. And it's a prophecy basically from the prophet Isaiah. It says, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, that's referring to Isaiah, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, And she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. And in Isaiah chapter 7, 14, the word says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And perhaps the only regret that Joseph had was that in the very beginning, he had actually doubted the announcement that Mary had made. I don't know. But now that the Holy Spirit, through this dream, and the angel Gabriel speaking, Joseph was now given complete, comfortable assurance, permission. Joseph now had the assurance and the permission and the ordination to now move into the third stage of the marriage order with Mary. But I will tell you, even moving into this third stage, it was with a holy fear because the word says this, 
that he restrained or he refrained from his natural desires. They did not come together where the word uses this word know. They did not know one another until after the birth of Jesus. In Matthew 1, verse 24 and 25, then Joseph being raised from sleep did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. This was the third stage. And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he, as instructed, called his name Jesus. Now this is going to shatter, I think, the bubble of some denominations. And if there's someone in here this morning that is not of the Baptist persuasion, particularly um, if you are of a, a Catholic background or a Catholic persuasion, let me say this might interrupt you just a little bit. The important thing here is that the Bible clearly teaches us that Mary did not remain a perpetual virgin. This changes a lot of things, by the way, because there are many denominations who set up camp who have believed all of their life that they need to continually pray to the Virgin Mary. She did not remain a virgin. The scripture says, and knew her not till the birth of her firstborn. Matthew 12, verse 46 says, while he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. And he answered, and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren are my brothers. For whosoever should do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus had other siblings after he was born. I want to remind you of a final verse this morning in Matthew 13, 55 and 56. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, his brothers, James, Hoses or Joseph, and Simon and Judas. That's not Iscariot, by the way. Jude. And his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? Well, this is the story of the Joseph of Christmas. But what the main thing is, is that you know the Jesus of Christmas. That you know the Messiah. And while our Jewish friends today, all over the world, are looking for and praying for the Messiah to come the first time, as prophesied in Genesis, we believe by God's grace and the word that he has come and we are looking for him to return and come the second time. Amen. If you don't know Jesus as your savior, I'm not asking you if you believe in the Christmas story. 
I'm asking you this. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God? That He was preordained. He was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That His purpose to come was to defeat Satan, hell, death, and the grave on the cross and through His bodily resurrection. He shed His blood, God's own blood, His royal blood. He made the atonement. He took our place. That means He became our vicarious substitute. He took my place. He took your place on the cross. He shed His blood. It was God's payment for my sin, for your sin. Taken from the cross, wrapped in burial clothes, placed in a borrowed tomb. On the third day, God raised Him from the dead. That's the gospel. Do you believe this? It's the only way, Jesus said, through Him, that we can get to heaven. And there's a lot of denominations and a lot of faiths and a lot of religion in this world. But only one has risen from the dead. If you don't know Him as your Savior and you're watching today by internet, listen, don't just close your Bible and turn this broadcast off. Listen very carefully. This may be, this may be your last chance to hear a clear presentation of the gospel. And I will say to everyone here and watching today that you are without excuse. You have heard the message. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I beg you, and I say this from time to time, and I sincerely mean it. If someone were to line this aisle with broken glass and barbed wire, if God required his preacher to crawl on all fours to a pew and beg you to come to Jesus, I would do it. But it's not what I can do for you. It's already been done. He did it all. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.